Welcome to Good Christian People, an honest conversation between church leaders who recognize we're not perfect, we're barely good, but we want to be great. On today's episode, Mutiny is Afoot, and I take over as host as we deal with the last two lies of the book, Christians in the Age of Outlook. Welcome back, everybody, to the Good Christian People, the podcast. I know this is normally the time when you would hear Jeff's voice, but this is a half episode, and so I'm taking over. I am now the host, Tim, and across the aisle from me is Jeff, and to my left is Joe, and I don't care what kind of stupid names Jeff wants to come up with, because he's no longer the host of this half episode, but welcome into the show, my friend. I was going to call us Thelma and Louise. Yeah, that's not happening, so I'm, I'm taking the reins. You can have it when we get back to episode nine, but this is eight and a half, and I'm jumping into the in, into the the what, what would we call this? I don't know. I'm just jumping in. So I like that you did that. However, I want to say I feel like you did that on purpose because you don't know the Spanish number for eight and a half. That's true. Yeah. Because if ocho you know, point ocho de media, I yeah. don't know, like medium eight, uh, something. I don't know. Anyway, that was yeah, that threw me off. I'm 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 Yeah, totally... I didn't tell you I was gonna do that, but I no. did it. And now we're live now and we're, we're moving. Live. Well we're not live, but we're moving on. Yeah. So thanks to everybody who's let's just restart. Oh. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, that was good. Oh, I was okay. gonna proud of you. Yeah. I'm proud of you. Stay golden, pony. Yeah, that's boy. A, you can see and hear the pride coming out in your voice. No, I wanna be the host, everybody. <laughs> Why well, I wanna be the I want a golden <laughs> goose daddy. A real boy. Yeah. Yeah, I want, I want a golden goose, Daddy, and I want it now. Is that from Willy Wonka? Is this your golden goose? Yes. You know, I've never seen that movie. Still, <sighs> my goodness, I have. I have actively worked hard to not see that movie. It is a classic. Yeah, I mean, well, you're also the person who so you're the movie polo. buff, and you didn't, you hadn't seen "It's a Wonderful Life" until you were like thirty or something stupid, right? <laughs> right? No, no. You no. had seen it when you were a kid. No, I saw. Yeah. All right. Well, you had told me stage. that you had never seen it. No, I said I hated it. Oh. I hated it. Wonderful it. Life is a terrible movie. Got it. Yeah, it's terrible. And he I'm also, like, I'll fight you on that. He also absolutely hates A Greatest Showman, which oh, is I do. a good 100. movie. No, it's not. Everybody likes it. Nope. And you don't. It's a terrible movie. It's okay. horrible. You, but, but a movie that I have not seen, and we've had this conversation, so I'm surprised you didn't bring this up. Uh, I have only seen the first two of the Rocky movies oh. and Creed's. So oh. I haven't seen three, four. Uh, you haven't seen any of the Creed's either? I mean, I've have, seen, no, no, I've seen the Creed's. Oh, I've you seen, saw Creed 1 I've and 2. I've seen the first two Rockies and the last two Rockies, which were the Creed's. Oh. So, yeah, I've I've bookended it. Well, Rocky 4 is the best of them all. Everybody says fighting. that. Everybody says that. I, mean, I must break you. I wonder Drago. what's going to happen. I wonder if they're going to fight. So, yeah, right, exactly. It's the same thing, <laughs> right? Of course, thing. over and over. Yeah. So Joe was telling us uh, right before we hit record. I'm excited that for this. Tom Cruise is partnering with SpaceX to put him into orbit to mm. shoot a, some sort of a scene for a new upcoming movie. What do you want to bet? It's a Mission Impossible. 
It's either going to be that or some sort of a PSA for Scientology. Yeah, that might be. That might be. I mean, like, it makes sense that it would be for Mission Impossible, but like, on what planet? Well, I guess on no planet, it'd be in space. But like, uh, and what? I almost said what universe, but and what world? Can you get your thoughts together? No, I can't because everything has to do with space, universe, world. Yeah. In what scenario? Yeah. Would Ethan Hunt? Yeah. Just happen to be in space. I don't know. Those movies are, you know, I mean, what is believable about any of those movies? You know what? I would be excited if it was the sequel to Edge of Tomorrow, Uh, which was then called Live, Die, Repeat, which confused everyone. And they're like, I don't know why this movie didn't make any money. It's because you changed titles two weeks into the. It was called. I think they kept it in Europe and whatnot. Live, Die, Repeat, I believe. No, it was initially called Edge of Tomorrow. Oh. And then they switched it to Live, Die, Repeat. Oh. Because Live, Die, Repeat was on the poster as like the tagline and everybody was like i want to see live die repeat and then they went oh let's change the title to live die repeat and it's a fantastic movie no i liked it yeah i don't know that i would call it fantastic but no it was was. it was a good no if you went back you've forgotten it because it is it is you just like any movies that have to do with like time travel and whatnot not all of them back to the future love it looper nah But Back to the Future, yeah, I love Back to the Future. Which, so speaking of space, real quick, I, I want to give um, a, a recommendation. So I know you said you haven't seen it yet, but the new Netflix show with the gal from the His boxing next, movie, next Karate Kid, Million Dollar Lady, Million Dollar La- Baby Million Dollar. Lady, yeah. What's her? What's Hillary her? Swank. Thank you, Swank. Um, is she hot or not? There's another office. Uh, yeah, yeah, but we're, we're, we're not, not going to have that conversation. No. Yeah, uh, but that's just an office reference. No, the the show Away is fantastic. Really? So I got into it because I'm fascinated with you know like real uh, science fiction, like not like you know um, Battlestar Galactica or something like that, but real like almost possible like traveling to the moon or traveling to Mars. So I'm already like kind of fascinated by some of that stuff. But what's cool about this show? Is it is about that, but it's not about. It's about personal relationships of families, and it's a dramatic, you know, um, you know, just work and telling of this whole story of these people on their way to Mars. It really has nothing to do with them getting to Mars. It's all about the relationships. It's it's. I highly sci-fi recommend sci-fi with heart. Yeah, I highly recommend it. So I saw a sci-fi movie with heart that dealt with time traveling and universes and whatever. Okay. Have you seen? Bill and Ted face the music. I've not seen that. No, I have seen it. Is Actually, it, I saw it. The, I, I bought it the day it came out. Yeah, see here. And so, yeah, I remember when it came out, I was excited to see it, but then I mean, theaters are shut down and I'm not going to pay $20 for it. Right. Even though if we went to the theaters, we paid $20 be, be, for yeah, it anyway, be but it's, it's it. principal because I'm sitting in my living room and not going to pay for it. But here's the weird thing, like rotten to like, you know, I know the first two and they're just like guilty pleasure movies, sure. you know, when you were a kid, right? you know, something is definitely a foot at the circle K. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite line. But anyway, I, so I looked up the new Bill and Ted and <laughs> on my little Apple TV, yes. it gives the rotten tomato ratings. And I went 80%. 80%. I was like, what? <laughs> There's no way that is a good movie. I mean, is it a good movie? Yes. Is it an entertaining movie? Sure. Yes. But a it good is movie? Very entertaining. I mean, no, but I mean, it, it's it is Bill and Ted. Is it worthy of eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes or whatever it is? I mean, did I watch it and did I enjoy it and was I glad I watched it when it was over? Yes, I was. I like. Sure. I, I really enjoyed it. I remembered it was. It, it was like they had. I mean, clearly they have aged, but they did a great job 
capturing the spirit of the first two Bill and Ted's, which I would imagine is hard 30 years later. I think it's a funny premise for the show. Like they were supposed to write the song that was going to change the world and then it never changed the world. I think it's a funny premise. Yeah. And then they just have to travel through time to try to go steal the song from themselves in a number of different scenarios. But I'm looking it up. 82%. 82%. It's amazing. But then at the same time, their daughters are in the story uh, and they have to travel through time to try to help their dads. It's like, so Bill and Ted go forward and their daughters go backward and they all meet in hell. Oh. That's true. That's not, I'm not being. And the Grim Reaper shows up again like he did yeah. in the I mean, bo- they go, bogus journey yeah. or whatever it was. Bogus journey. Oh, here's what I want to know. Does Napoleon show up again? No. Oh, no, see, but he they was get, the best. He was. He was Napoleon. in so crates. But, so crates. Uh, so crates. <laughs> I had a t-shirt for a long time that just said Wild Stallions. But uh, I have a Wild Stallions shirt. Yeah. Yes. I'm wearing it now. No, I'm wearing your shirt right now. No, I'm not. Couldn't fit in my shirt. I couldn't. No. No bird <laughs> chest. <laughs> Oh, you know, what's funny is that we probably picked up some listeners who were like, you know what? You just ended episode eight, like kind of abruptly. You didn't do all the stuff that we stick around for at the end, Mm -hmm. uh, which Josie, like as as we've talked, Josie has said, what really makes our podcast is the confession time that if it wasn't for the confession time, we would just be your average run of the mill Christians sitting Mm -hmm. around and whatever. And so basically confession time is what really gives our podcast it's oomph it's which is what christians are supposed to do but sure right confess your sins before man right into a microphone mm-hmm. and then out to uh, dozens of people mm-hmm. um <laughs> he's typed up it makes people happy to hear that pastors are failures thank you you could have just said make mistakes but well this is the tagline that i think i said in episode number one we're two regular dudes trying to be good pastors as opposed to good pastors trying to be regular dudes yeah you know, very good yeah, I mean, neither of us wear the collar, and no. even if we wore the collar, people would be like, what? I can't even afford a collar. Right. I'm wearing a t-shirt. Okay. Wild stallions. Yeah, anyway, right. so they're like, wait, I was excited to hear line number three and line number four. Here it and is. And you're talking about Bill and Ted's wild stallions. Put them in the Iron Maiden. Right. Excellent. So we don't have to, we don't have to like give kind of a ramp up to this, right? Because we're just, this is a half I mean, half a little episode. ramp up. Oh, cool. Maybe a little ramp well, then up. ramp up is you. Go ahead. Ramp it up. Oh, I don't know. I mean, no, see, I Drum really roll, I really thought you were doing a very good job hosting this. And now I oh, realize. Oh, that's right. I'm the host. You're the I host. forgot. And this is nice because I'm going, this is what you do all the time. You just sit back and let me do all the heavy lifting and uh-huh. then you just color commentate. Yeah. That's, this is easy. Yeah, so we are back into the book. This is page 89, everybody, if you have the book in front of you, which, again, we have highly recommended this. And so please go onto Amazon and support Mr. Stetzer and pick up the book and read every word of this and cherish it uh, and let it challenge you. Uh, Again, you may not agree, and I don't agree with everything in this book. No. I I don't agree with, and I mean, I don't agree with everything that I read in any book. And quite honestly, even when I read the scripture, I go, I don't want to agree with that, Yeah, but I have to because it's God's infallible word to I've me. S- I've seen you rip pages out of your Bible. Oh yeah, like, 100%. That's got to go. Again, like Michael Scott when he went to business school and he just started ripping it. Right. Yeah. Like, you don't need to know this. We keep referencing the office. I don't think we should. No, why not? Everybody why likes not? It. Like, yeah, I mean, it's going to be the one thing bum, I think bum, we can all right. I feel like talking about the office is helpful because there are people who will probably be like, we need to find some common ground with these bozos. Yeah. And let me say this. I mean, I know you're hosting. Yeah. Um, but we did skip the 
I apologize for what I said last, last episode. Summer. Oh. What did we say? I don't know what I said last last episode. No, I don't know that we need to. I, I will say this. Here is what, when we were done, and yeah. I started thinking about how we ended. Sure. Um, I made the comment about how we probably stirred some things up. Um, and I said, we stirred the pot. We stirred the pot, and, and we probably alienated some people. We referenced multiple times people who might be offended by the things that we've said if we rubbed the wrong way. Our and, conservative friends think we're liberal. Liberal friends think we're conservative. And in my, as I walked out, I went, I don't love that. Like, I don't love the thought that people are coming away going, I don't, these two made me angry or they made me feel something like, I, I hope that we said things sure. in a way that was loving. And if we didn't, uh, you know, we apologize for it. All right. So um, the goal is not to talk just... to us about it. Right. So when I say stir the pot, I'm saying stirring the pot of ideas, of thought, of conversation. Sure. Not stirring the pot of outrage, not stirring the pot so people can really get ticked off at us, but trying to say, all right, how can we look objectively and how can we back up and how can we look at the right and the left and everybody in between and how can we see the good and the bad and the faults mm-hmm. and the failures and the victory of both sides Um and, and, and how do we just present some of those ideas? And, and that is pot stirring because, again, as mentioned in the last episode, that it, it uh, basically presents a nuance. Yeah. It presents complexity. We as strive a, for nuance. Yeah. We strive for nuance. We strive to find some kind of balance. We, uh, as we said, I guess, two episodes ago, we're, we try to be equal opportunity offenders, um, mainly that we just kind of shoot for the middle and say, here's what we think is true. And we hope that you will come along with us. However, we understand there's some people who probably aren't loving the conversation or, um, you know, and and just be blunt. My concern is that there are people, particularly in our church who would listen to this and go, man, I did not know these guys felt this way. I don't know that they can pastor me. Um, and I would be very sad if that was the way somebody actually felt. And Mm -hmm. if that was the case, then again, talk to us, Mm -hmm. like, let's have that conversation and let's, Let's see if we can't, if, if there's maybe something that you heard, sure. you implied a meaning that, uh, that we didn't intend. Sure. Um, you well, know, and we're I not going to do, we're not going to, we're not going to say everything perfectly. And again, to, to the point that we just discussed, I think the confession portion is important because it shows that our platform in this podcast and our opinions and the things that we're saying are not perfect. No. It's not canon, uh, biblical canon, and it's not you know directives from the Lord. We we are not being prophetic here. We're just trying to struggle through some of the same ideas and the same concepts that everybody else is trying to strive through. So when when we when we're giving our platform, we're not saying you must believe like us. We're trying to think say here's some of the things that we're thinking through and struggling through, and yeah. so maybe this might challenge you as well. Yeah, and I I think there'll be a question or two in here today that challenges us to me and you. Okay. To, to, cause I have a question in here that I want to ask you. Um, and I'll, but I mean, you're the host, you'll get to it. Yeah. So lie number three on page 89 of this book, lie number three, uh, says that this lie is blank. So fill in the blank, whatever it may be blank will save me from the outrage. So fill in that blank with what most of us do. We fill it in with a person. We fill it in with a party. We fill it in with some sort of policy that could get voted in. We fill it in with some sort of a problem that has been or could be solved. So, yes, I am mad now. Yes, I am outrageously outraged now. But when something happens, when this person, when this party, when this policy is enacted, when this problem is solved, I'll be good. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's what Stetzer starts out with is saying that as Christians have known this for a long time, that the world is broken, that the world is in need of fixing in a savior. Like that's not news to us. Like as the political climate just gets absolutely insane, people are starting to go, there's some serious things that are wrong. There are things that are broken. And, and we, we know that, um, but as he points out, as he kind of deals with the idea of Jeremiah 2 and, and the fountains of life versus the cracked cisterns, that too often the need for a savior can very easily move towards idolatry. We bypass the life-giving thing for cheap substitutes. Right. And those cheap substitutes are are things that we basically end up putting our faith and our hope in that they will be the thing that saves us from this outrage that this, this climate, that if this thing, as you said, can just be in position or power, I will hold on to that and that will make everything all better. And then it becomes idolatry. He, he, idolatry, even, he yeah. even like kind of hints at, uh, the story of the golden calf when Israel is waiting yeah. on Moses to come back down from Sinai and they get impatient. What's going on? Something's gone wrong. This is not happening. All right, so let's melt down all of our gold and let's make a golden calf. And he, he hints at that we are all getting impatient with all of the sinful nonsense of the world. And God, yeah. why don't you do something about it? Okay, we'll make a golden uh, a, you know, donkey or a golden elephant or a red elephant and a blue donkey, whatever it may be. And we, we substitute the only fix for society with other things now but here's here's the thing for me we if you're listening to this and you are a convictional christian if you're saved by the grace of jesus christ and he is you know he is your life you know that jesus is the only answer you know that jesus is the only fix you know that the only thing you can fill in the blank here with jesus will save me from the outrage that's the only place that's the only person that's the only thing jesus will save me from the outrage yes he will but maybe not right now yeah, it will be in the end. Uh, sure. it'll, it, when he fixes, when society is going to be broken until his kingdom comes in full, and he decides to set everything straight. We know that. Anybody listening to this who shares our beliefs, we know that. But that is so can be so just again that does that's not nuanced. No. And so if we know that, we would sometimes we'll just say, yeah, Jesus is the only fix. I agree. But in the meantime. Here's all of the other things that I need to put all of my all of my uh, care into, all of my time into, all of my effort into, all of my arguing and debating into. Here's everything I need to do, and my question would be, okay, are you sure? Yeah. Are you sure? Like, uh, so if, if that's the case, like I agree. Again, this is coming from a guy who my only platform is a pulpit, and so it's easy for me to, you know, come down as condescending on here. So I'm trying to make sure that I. I temper that um, because for me, my the only thing I'm going to shout is Jesus. I'm not going to shout the red, sure. the blue, the donkey, or the the elephant. But other people should, like other people should. Like, there should be Christians in the political square who are debating these things and bringing a biblical worldview into into the square to debate because everyone else is bringing their worldview. Everyone right. else is whether you whether it's secularism or not. That is their religious worldview that they're bringing in, and we need to bring a biblical worldview in. But at the same time, I simply ask about, I guess, priorities. And then I would ask, what, what is the pie chart of your life? 
Like yeah. <laughs> it, 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 so, uh, so there are some temporary things that you can fill in the blank here that you could say, yes, I, like I'm angry at the things that are going on now. And if we were to enact this policy, then I wouldn't be as you know upset about different things. I get that. Right. I think there's a gray area. It's not idle or shut up about it. It's not black or white. There's a gray area in there. And I think uh, we need to be wise about saying, yes, Jesus is the only answer. But there are some temporary things that we would like to see enacted in our society. But what does the pie chart look like? You know, wh- what am I putting most of my focus in? If my friends and family, if my Facebook, you know, in interactions, hear me talk about the the temporary fixes more than they hear me talk about the eternal fix, hmm. then I would say that there's an issue there. If I talk more about Trump fixing the world than I talk about Jesus, I think there's an issue. If I talk more about Biden fixing the world than I talk about Jesus, I think there's an issue. There's not an issue for the people that don't stand on the gospel of Jesus, but for those of us who do, I think that's an issue. So you just spoke for seven minutes without a break. Wow. And I really like when you go into your pastor mode. That was a, that was a sermon, for that sure. That was. And I liked it. It was, I felt convicted listening to it. Now I'm a convicted... When I go into sermon mode, I know exactly what I'm going to say. When I'm just sitting here, just shooting the breeze with you, that's when I'm like, uh, 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 I yeah. have no idea. No, it was like something spoke out of you that wasn't you. Um, I mean, and not, I mean, you have a gift, you know that, but I, I really enjoyed listening to that dissertation. Um, <laughs> no, it, it's good. I mean, we, and you, you're right because w- when it comes to idolatry, when it comes to, and it's not just in political realm and in, in outrage, we do that with everything in our life, that everything in our life, there are so many idols, so many things that are competing for our attention to take first place over Christ. And so that for sure is we have to examine everything to see, has it become an idol? Speaking specifically about this issue of the culture in the age of outrage, Stetzer identifies three areas that really become the things that, that in the political seen in the culture war that we're in three things that really kind of become the, the big idols. And the first one, and this is not gonna be surprising to anybody. We're talking about it is politics. He quotes Tim Keller here and Tim Keller's a great guy. Uh, love what he writes, love what he puts out and he's come under fire lately too. It's so dumb. Um, he, Tim Keller said this, when we center our lives on the idol, we become dependent on it. If our counterfeit God is threatened in any way, our response is complete panic. This may be a reason why so many people now respond to U.S. political trends in such an extreme way. When either party wins an election, a certain percentage of the losing side talks openly about leaving the country. They have put the kind of hope in their political leaders and policies that once was reserved for God and the work of the gospel. I'm glad you like that quote because it is in my sermon for this upcoming Sunday. Excellent. No, it is, that is an, a fantastic quote. I mean, it, yep, it really I'm leaving. Is, I'm gone. Moving to Canada. Yeah. And this is what's funny is that no matter who is in power, the other side is like, this is not what I want. The this world needs to change. Is the, world is, the world is ending. I'm leaving. But the weird thing is, is that when that power shift, it, when that power shifted and it flips, then the people who were saying, well, I'm leaving. Now they're telling the other people, well, get on out of here. It's like, Really, like how? I don't know. I doesn't. I doesn't understand it all. But when he's talking about politics here, here's I, I. I highlighted this a million times. I. I was jarred by this quote from Billy Graham, hero of every evangelical that's ever been in the last seventy years. 
um, and page 96, where Billy Graham is quoted by saying, it would disturb me if there was a wedding between the religious fundamentalists Ooh. and the political right. The hard right has no interest in religion except to manipulate it. The words of Billy Graham. Mm. That, uh, that to me, I, I read it and I kind of put the thing down and I, I tried to sit on that for a little while. I mean, you know, a, a hero of, of evangelicalism and uh, um, just the church, um, the evangelist who has, you know, led so many people to a point of decision and to a thought process of finding out their sin and the salvation that comes in Jesus. And Billy Graham, to his credit, he was very apolitical. Um, I mean, he was a pastor to, to, or he was, what do they call him, pastor to presidents. Yeah. Um, but he, he similar to kind of what I'm trying to do in my life, is understood what his platform was. Yeah. Um, but he also, a long time ago, uh, saw that there were people on the right who had no interest in religion except to use it, manipulate it to get votes. Page 96 is a great page because I have two other quotes uh-huh. that are underlined and starred. Like I went to put a star next to it and I was so... Can I guess? Sure. All right. Uh, top of the page there. If you are if you see your political yep. party as never being wrong, there is a problem. Yes. Why did you like that one? Because it's a true statement. Oh. No, I mean, and it's, it's, it's this whole idea of my side is never wrong. And no matter what I do, I am never wrong. And I couldn't possibly be wrong. It's the other people who are wrong. And it is on every issue that we have figured out what that, what that is. And let's be honest. I mean, can you believe that fallible people made up of a party in which we understand that politics very easily corrupts people, that 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 group could never be wrong. Or if it's not, well, we're not perfect a hundred percent of the time, but 100% of the time we are more right than the other side. And I think some of that, some of that fallacy comes from our, our own defense of the gospel, our own apologetics sure. that the scripture is infallible. The scripture is inerrant, sure, right? Yeah, that's a good point. And so God is in his word is pure. And as Billy Graham mentions there, if we marry, if we marry religion and our worldview that says this is our our defining document here, if we marry that with uh, a religious right or or excuse me, a political right or political left, I I think we we start to we start to blend and we can't tell the difference between what we're defending. And so that we all of a sudden we're used to defending infallible scripture. And then we start to say, well, no, that person can never be wrong uh, or that position can never be wrong. That party can never be wrong. And I I, I think it, it starts from good intentions, possibly. Sure. But when we don't guard our heart, guard our speech, guard our mind, when we don't focus on what we should and when we start to when the pie chart starts to lean in the wrong direction as mentioned before then we we start to defend the wrong things and and I wrote down uh, when the church or when the christian uh, when we too closely tie our defense more to the person on the ballot rather than the person big p on the throne um, then we are literally hurting our witness we are weakening the gospel story to a, a society that's really quite confused mm. i mean we confuse our witness we confuse society we confuse our position in the church because we speak more about temporary issues than we do eternal issues. So to your point, one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, where does this idea come from that my party is never wrong? Um, 
and I think it is rooted. I think you're right that it's in, it's rooted in this idea that scripture, God is infallible and I have hitched my cart to that. But then we have this idea, I believe, where we view the other side as because you disagree with me, therefore you couldn't possibly be a Christian, right? And we have an issue where, and I'm not trying to make this about race, but we understand that, that yes, 81% of white evangelicals voted for Trump. It was not like that for African-American evangelicals. Right. Minority evangelicals were not that way. And so this idea is, okay, I... My, my, I might not be perfect, but I want what God wants. And since I'm tied into God and everybody else are heathens, even though that's not true, everyone else is a heathen. Therefore, I am automatically more close to God and, and whatever I feel is right. That's what God wants. And therefore, I have to be right. Is it possible? On God's side, and God's on my side. Is it possible to be a convictional Christian and be a registered and voting Democrat? Yes. Are you serious? Yeah. Hold on. Yes. And All this right. is so coming. See, I just learned this, something new today. Let's and let's be very clear. <laughs> this is coming from two people who are not registered Democrats. Yeah. You know, we are we are not we are not sitting here. You know, people are gonna. I think there are people who could listen to this and go, "You guys are two progressive liberals," like you said. Yep. And nope, that's not it. That's not at us. all. But we also understand that there are people who view things differently, and and whether that's through experience, whether that's through whatever that makes them go, this is what I believe. And there is more nuance and more complexity. We'll talk about that, but yeah, so we're talking about the party or the politics being an idol and that, that really kind of it's a natural progression into what we're talking about with the identity. Cause so many of us identify with our political party or our politics, but he breaks it down even more by kind of, especially I, I know you've mentioned uh, earlier that you don't want to make it about race and all that kind of stuff, but so much about race and who we identify ourselves with, look like who our communities are, mm-hmm. who we rally around and not even rally around, just who we surround ourselves with and are surrounded by is our identity. And it, while we are, you know, a multicultural society, the, we, we still have communities and we still quite often we are magnetic towards the people that we look like, sound like, you know, think like all these different things, regardless of race or socioeconomic background or worldview or anything like that. And, um, he mentions that in us versus them mentality, you know, as if, if, if everyone on the other side is absolutely wrong and you are always the one who's always right. Um, then you, you are putting the, you're putting yourself on the pedestal and saying, I now, and the <laughs> my ideas are now the idol. Yeah, yeah, because I'm I, I I know everything that's correct. So this segment of the chapter is something that I really struggle with. Okay, because a lot of what he talked about kind of was nationalism, like this sense of identity as an American. Mm. And so to be clear, I love this country. Um, this is not something where I'm just sitting there and I'm mad at America for being America and I'm unpatriotic. My wife uh, served very distinguished in the military. Uh, She was amazing. We love the military. We love America. But what to me has been this tension is that as a Christian, it seems like now in this political culture, nationalism and Christianity are linked and it's, hard and sometimes it's even difficult to see 
Christians acting in ways that seem to fly the American flag as high as the Christian flag. I love this country. I am so grateful to be from this country. It is the best country that has ever been. And yet sometimes it's difficult to go. I feel like there's a sense that if you are going to be critical of this country, which just like a church, just like uh, any organization, any person, there are things to be critical of that in this day and age, if you are critical of something that America needs to fix or to work on, then all of a sudden you are unpatriotic and you don't love this country. And I'm going, that's not the case, but, but Mm. so many people have tied in their identity as an American in terms of tying in their nationalism and their faith and married them. Sure. I think it's, it's again, it's priority. It's top down list. It is pie chart. You can be American and Christian. Great. You can be Indian and Christian. Great. You can be uh, Parisian and French and and be Christian and great. So French. uh, Well, anyway, so what is, what is your greatest allegiance, right? right. Um, so be, you know, be, be patriotic, sing the Lee Greenwood song. That's, that's wonderful. That's great. I mean, I, I, people push back on me sometimes, or at least give me faces when I stand on the pulpit and say, don't forget that America is a temporary country. Right. Like it, 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 it is very young. And when it comes to human history, 200 and some years old, that's extremely young. I mean, right. it, and it may, America may be here until the apocalypse, until revelation takes hold and until Jesus comes down from the sky. It may, but it may not, America may not be around because yeah. the Roman empire is no longer around. So many different empires have crumbled anyway. And so if we, if we tie, like you're saying, if we tie our identity too much into that, then we will be absolutely just outraged and overly sad because our identity is crumbling and the, the United States of America is changing. But here's the thing is the church never does. The church, the pure church of Jesus continues and it is wonderful. We, we need to continue moving. He mentions politics. He mentions um, what we're talking about here, identity, and he mentions personality, which is pretty much the same thing. But I, I want to point you to um, one of of uh, one of the things in here that I, I circled on page 105. Um, all of this comes down to putting something else in the position that Jesus shouldn't be right around just under halfway down. He says, you can't hate people and engage them with the gospel at the same time. Yeah. You can't war with people and show them the love of Jesus. You cannot be both outraged and on mission at the same time. Yeah. It's impossible. And when we put ourselves in these camps, when we put ourselves in these silos and we act as us versus them, we're right, you're wrong, you know, you're terrible, I'm good, we, we, that, that hurts the mission that he has called us to be, that it makes it impossible. If all of a sudden, if, if um, so ask yourself, the listener, ask yourself, uh, do, does the way you carry yourself, do the way you carry yourself in political conversation and debate and things that are good, like we should have these um, these conversations and we should struggle with ideas, but the way you carry yourself in those mm-hmm. moments, forget about your platform, but the way you struggle with these ideas, does it hurt your gospel witness? Yeah. And if it does... Then you have made an idol out of your out of your policy. You've made an idol out of your platform. You've made an idol out of what you believe to, to be the temporary fixes for the world. And Stetcher pretty much lays it out that the fix to that idolatry is the gospel. Yeah. That coming back and saying, okay, what is the truth about scripture? And and in the next episodes, we're gonna talk about having a kingdom mindset and understanding what that looks like and how that impacts. 
But he kind of hits on it here in page 101 where he's talking about if we embrace the gospel and what Jesus has called us to, then, and this is scare some people, we can be free to fail and free to move between political camps, have dissenting views from the cultural or political norms. And this is, this is a crazy statement. When we do, we are often more like Jesus. That when we are moving between and, and, and following what is true, what is right, what is good, you can find pieces in different areas and you move towards what is good. And this is what I love. He says, Jesus's rest frees us from looking to identity as our savior. This rest also frees us from relying on power and control as our savior. And so much of our issues come down to that. It's that I need to have this power. I need to have this control. If I don't have it, then everything is going to be bad. And Jesus is coming and going, as you've said, it's all temporary. Everything is going to work out for the Christian in the end. And so we do not need to idolize these things that are not our savior. And so we don't need to give them too much, uh, too much control, too much power. But there's one question. Here's the question I was going to ask you. It's not that significant, but. Page 100, he says, let me be clear, Christians should be actively involved in the political process as well as their local churches. What do you make of that, Mr. Political Agnostic? Yeah, and I'm being challenged on some of that. I'm I'm reading, it's, you know, a very political time, and so I've got some books that I've been wanting to read, and they're jumping up to the front of my reading list now, and I'm being challenged on some of that. Um, Again, as I mentioned to you, uh, some of my challenge is in the political square, People, we, we need, the, the kingdom of God needs people to take the biblical worldview into the square and debate those ideas. Mm. It is necessary um, because every single person on the face of the earth has a worldview and that worldview can be considered religious. Even if you're a secular humanist, that is the religion that you're bringing into the society. So in other words, when the schools say, uh, you know, when public schools say, hey, we can't have God in prayer and all these different kinds of things, which which is, you know, there's it's a separate conversation. But when you say that you can't have biblical ideas in the school, but you can bring in um, a, a different agenda, say bring in an agenda, a, an agenda that's um, gender nonspecific, all these different kind of things, um, that is not a, uh, a lack of religion. That's, that, that's religion right in. Sure. Like everyone has a religion, whether you're religious or not. Everyone has a worldview. Call it religion, call it worldview, whatever you want. And so all of these ideas that are in the public square, when we say, you know, um, when church and state should be, um, you know, separated, it is someone else's religious views. Yeah. And so the, the public square needs the biblical ideas in there. So I believe that people should have these debates and should be loud about it from a biblical standpoint, yep. not from a left or right, red or blue standpoint. I believe people should be in that square debating it. I just, conviction, I, my conviction, it shouldn't be me. That's all. Stetzer ends the chapter yeah. with this. The church stands no hope of engaging the age of outrage unless we root out the lie that the solution to sin lies anywhere outside of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Salvation is not coming on Air Force One, and Jesus will not come riding on a donkey or an elephant. Those who fail to see such things have been lost to the idolatry of the moment. Agreed. So let's move on. Line number four. Line number four. comes from what I was just mentioning. Yeah, that mission is optional. So Mm -hmm. the lie is that mission is optional. So uh, he gives the story about how when after his... 
after his crucifixion and after his death and after his resurrection, the um, his followers and the disciples are hanging out in the upper room and they're scared. And Jesus comes to him right in the middle of John chapter 20, he just stands right in the middle of the room. And he says, the father has sent me. I am also sending you. In other words, he's not saying, hey, you're good. Just like hang here. Hey, you're, you, I, I realize there's going to be persecution out there. I realize it's going to be a hard time. I realize the people out there are not going to believe like you. He says, they're not going to believe like you, but I'm right. still sending you. And in John chapter 28, he says, go into all the world. In Acts chapter 1, he says, go be my witnesses. And so um, in the middle of a world that doesn't think like us, and quite honestly, it's in vogue to not think like us at all and to call the what the Christians believe is hate speech and biblical stances, you know, backward bumpkiss, all this kind of stuff. It is not optional for us to hunker and bunker and to be monks on a hill and to right. just say, okay, we're just going to do our own little thing over here. Um, th- there are religious worldviews, secular or re- whatever you want to call it, that are taking over the world and we need to be better evangelists. So yeah. here, here's when, when, when we talked about earlier, the split between convictional and cultural and congregational and then the non-religious, right? There's four and the split in the river and how uh, it used to be the non-religious were the outliers. Now the convictional Christian, quite honestly, I think the non-religious, those people, the non-Christians, they got a whole lot better at evangelism than we did. Absolutely. And they were able, with their worldview and where, with, with their conviction, they were able to pull the nominals onto their side so much that, as he mentions, that in the statistics, say 1% of the people that identified as Christians every single year are going over to the other side because they're just better evangelists than convictional Christians are. Well, but I would also say this, is that they are better because they feel that the numbers are on their side. Yep. Right. That they have seen that the culture has shifted towards them. And when you're in the majority, it is very easy to pull people to your side. We, it, Stetzer talks a lot in this book about the kind of the golden age of Christianity, where it was, it was very popular to at least fall into the camp of one of those types of Christians, whether yeah. it just be a name only or, you know, kind of one foot in, one foot out, or completely on the team. And we looked at those numbers. We talked about two episodes ago. We looked at those numbers and said, man, we're in the majority. We've got everybody on our side. I don't have to really be afraid to go out and talk about God because culturally we understand what that means to have that influence and that power. And we were in the majority, at least it appeared that we were in the majority. And it gave us that sense of confidence of going, you can't persecute me because I got a whole army behind me right. who were like, you know, yeah, we got come, lazy. We got lazy. And now what has happened is that we have figured out that the people we thought were on our team yeah. really weren't. No. And so now when the culture has basically said, you guys are now the fringe, you guys are now the minority, yep. you guys are no longer the ones, then now it becomes very much like, well, I'm just going to go hide. I'm going to go hide. And, and culture is hard. It makes me not like being out there. I don't like the things you're saying sure. to me. And we view everything as persecution. Anytime somebody, and there is some real persecution. I'm not knocking that at all, but we begin to think that anytime anybody disagrees with us, that's persecution. And that is because we existed so long as seemingly the majority voice. We held that power when the power shifted and it flipped upside down. And now we're the ones on the outside. Then it becomes very easy to go. Well, I just don't want to talk to you all. Sure. Now our mission is harder, yeah, yeah, harder than it has been for us in our lifetimes. This is not the most difficult it has ever been for Christians, right? And let's be clear about that. Oh, for sure. And so uh, we should not number one retreat. 
We should move forward. And at the same time, this is what I'm going to preach this Sunday in the message. We should not get so daggone distracted all the time. So the world is chaotic. The world is an outrage and it is fantastic to watch. It draws us in. It is magnetic. It is entertaining and it's entertaining to be a part of some of us. We just like to, we like to, you know, um, get in a cage match of a, of a Facebook argument and all that kind of stuff. I'm sure you've never done that, but um, we, we get distracted by it. And he, he, here's the line that I starred on page 114. Um, Christians buy into the lie that mission is optional because the church too often reflects rather than transcends the world as outrage. Yeah. So instead of understanding that we are ambassadors of a different kingdom, of an eternal kingdom, not a temporary one, instead of understanding that we come with permanent fixes, not temporary fixes, and we transcend, um, we get down and we get in the mix of everything else that is being argued and everything else that is just distracting us, and we, we get into the outrage and we get outraged ourselves. And the mission of Christ calls us to say, we are strangers. We are resident aliens in this land. This world is not our home. Jesus said something similar when he, he basically said that you're in the world, but not of the world, even though that's a paraphrase of Jesus. Um, we, we see that mission is, is something that all of us are called to mission to the kingdom and not mission to the political party. First and foremost, again, yeah. the, the pie chart of where everything is. And I'll just, here's the last thing I, I, I want to say. Um, lies uh, are very powerful, but the truth is more. Mm-hmm. And we are the people who come with the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by him, John fourteen six. And that message, even if rejected, is more powerful than the millions and billions of lies that are out there. And we must focus and we must prioritize, and we must make sure that our pie chart is not balanced, but it is weighted towards the eternal, not the temporary. I love how he ends this chapter. He just talks about why is mission not optional? Because God has called us. We live in a broken and fragmented world in need of the good news of Jesus. Because if we ignore our calling, there are a legion of false missionaries to take our place because the God who did not spare his own son for us has given us a mission I love this. And he has promised us victory. That's the thing right now. It may seem like here's a lie. No, it's not a lie. It's actually the true statement that we're in the minority. Yep. That's okay. Yep. The lie is that that is means defeat. Yep. And what that means is we now have to carry out the mission with the love of Christ to not reflect the world's outrage back to them, but to transcend it and to show them Jesus yeah, I think being in the minority is scary to white evangelicals. Yeah. It's not scary to our black evangelical brothers and sisters. Yeah. In fact, they are welcoming us with open arms saying, welcome to the minority. Yeah. We've been here the whole time. Yeah. It's yeah. like, and, and again, as we said two episodes ago, this is what Jesus promised us. Yeah. Jesus promised us that the road would be narrow and it would be difficult. But it we would have trouble to life. It leads to life. Well, let me, this is what makes our podcast different, right? Let me open up with my confession here real quick. Uh, I have made mention several times that I don't get wrapped up in politics and you might think that I'm standing on my prideful soapbox when I say that, and maybe I am. Um, but what I do get wrapped up in all the time is sports. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I watch too much uh, Orioles and Maryland Terrapins and Baltimore Ravens, whatever it may be. 
And so that lie number four of mission is optional. I have no problem with it when it comes to politics because I just, I reject it. I leave it behind me and I'm like, let's talk about Jesus. But I do waste a lot of time um, on nonsense in my life, stuff, sports that are so temporary, politics that are temporary. But guess what's even more temporary is the sports that men play that I pay money for and go to see and spend a lot of time and um, I, I I can't say that I neglect mission, but sometimes I would say my mission in, over the last years has maybe suffered because I've made choices to go to a game instead of to do some sort of ministry. So I, I am not immune to the mission is optional lie. Appreciate you sharing that. I'm glad we didn't pick the same lie. Good. I picked lie number one. The Christians are the worst. On page 71, Stetzer says, making sweeping generalizations and dismissing broad sections of professing believers without careful reflection and engagement breeds contempt on both sides, effectively excommunicating whole sections of the body. I have been guilty of this. You've also been guilty of saying, all Republicans are the worst. I've never said that. <laughs> never said that. Um, I've, uh, But I have... So again, I don't know what... Maybe it's my thing that I just go, I'm fine picking on my team. Right. Like I, and, and I think that's because when you are in the midst of it and you're willing to look at the flaws, then what you see are the flaws and you don't see the good. Sure. And so it has been very frustrating. Sometimes I think feeling as a, as you would talk about a political orphan being politically homeless mm -hmm. to look around and to see Christians who have engaged. Mm -hmm. And I have made broad sweeping generalizations. Sure. I have believed the lie of probably, in my frustration said the lie that, that sometimes I'm embarrassed to be a Christian because of the way that we are portrayed. Sure. Um, and I haven't done as much to change that perception. Like I don't, you know, we talked about the good Samaritan it's like, yeah, I, I can sit there and be like, this is the wrong thing or this is the right thing to do, but I haven't actively worked to say, okay, let's show a different way. Sure. Um, and so for me, that's, that's my confession is just to say, I, I think I have harbored resentment, towards people on my team because I have been embarrassed or I have not liked the way some things have, have gone down. And so therefore I have said, you're the worst. Maybe I'm not actually said you're the worst, but I have, I have harbored that bitterness and, uh, and I got to let that go. I'm, 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 I'm trying to look at both sides and go, everyone has made the image. What I, what I can't stand is when we make the argument, and as I've said this many times, people are made in the image of God. And so love those people. But then we turn around and go, but hate the people who hate you, you know, and it's just at some point you've got to go, if everybody's made in the image of God, then I have to treat both sides, including mine when I get frustrated. And I haven't done that very well. And that moves us into great Christian people. So at this time, we try to find things that will encourage us, that will make us go, all right. And I know everybody has been waiting so long to hear who are we going to identify and high five. Um, we have referenced this group on our podcast before, um, there is a podcast that exists that we at some point would just like to hopefully become. Uh, and that is the Holy Post podcast. There are a number of hosts on there, Phil Vischer, Christian Taylor, and my guy, Sky Jatani. The way they engage with these issues, the way that they talk about politics, the way that they talk about the gospel in relation to politics. Yeah as well as doing it in a way that is loving and yeah. is kind. It is yeah. setting the bar for people like us who are going more loving we, than us for sure. Yeah. How do we engage in a way with truth? Um, they are smarter than most people that sure. I hear talk about than and us. they, than us. And, and 
I mean, not many people are smarter than us, so I'm really, the bar is set very high. Uh, they are very smart. They're very loving. Sure. They approach truth and the gospel in everything that they do. And so I, I just, if we hope that you enjoy our podcast, uh, but if you ever want to hear really smart people, the Holy Post podcast, I cannot recommend them enough. They have been uh, just a refuge for me yeah. in the midst of, have I mentioned them before? I mean, I know we've mentioned them, but I haven't used them as my no. great Christian. People. No, I would say, I mean, if, if you happen to stumble on our podcast and you've like, man, this is a breath of fresh air, then just leave us and go to yeah. the Holy post podcast and get I wouldn't much even be better mad. Content. I wouldn't even be mad. It's much like, better it's content. like when you get dumped for somebody who's more attractive, you're like, you know what? It hurts, but I understand it. So let me give, um, let me give honor to the guy who wrote this book and who gave us permission to do the sermon series from the book, Mr. Ed Stetzer, not just so much from the book, but you know, since I've kind of learned about him, follow him on Twitter from time yeah. to time. And he, he addresses in the moment, uh, heavy moments that are, that are happening in society, heavy news stories, things that are going on. And, and he does so very wise. Uh, every time, uh, every time I see him, I'm going, man, I, I wish I could figure out how to communicate that like he does. I mean, he's just, yeah. he's very talented. He's got a gift and, um, he gets crucified <laughs> Yeah, he does because of it. Yeah. Uh, from brothers and sisters in the Lord. Yeah. Just gets absolutely annihilated in the comment sections. And if, if you were to only read the comment section, you would think I would be following the antichrist himself. On Twitter. And so, yeah. Ed Stetzer, I know you're not listening, brother, but thank you for being you. Thank you for uh, you allowing the wisdom of the Lord and the talents and the communication and just the succinctness that you have to be able to put ideas into words. I appreciate following after you. Now, let me challenge what you've just said. Uh -oh. in, in the past two episodes, yeah. you've talked about Ed Stetzer not listening to us, Russell, Russell, Russell Moore, Moore not listening to us, yeah. and you know, most likely... Phil, Christian, and Sky are not listening to us. So you want people to email them? I do. <laughs> I want to <laughs> email the Holy Post podcast. Yeah. Tag us on. I, we we what we want to do is we want to get on their radar so that they feel the love, so yeah. that they know that they are doing good work, sure. and also that they would invite us into their network of uh, trusted advisors and people who they would listen to and maybe uh, actually adopt as human beings. Um, and hopefully not enact a restraining order of some sort. That's coming. Yeah. That's coming. By the time we hit double-digit episodes, and I just want to say, Tim, uh, you really knocked it out of the park hosting this one. It well, was, it, I mean, it was, it was fantastic. I as mean, the host, I think I should close this up by saying, <laughs> why don't you fine. follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GCPod. You can email us at goodchristianpod at gmail.com. I'm sure we have stirred some things up, and so we would love for you to email us, ask some questions. Let's have a conversation. We don't want you to just, I say this from the pulpit all the time, uh, please like fact check us and see if what I preach or Jeff says or I say from this podcast, like we are trying to say things from a right standpoint, but we may have gotten it wrong. And if we did, please point it out to us. But next week, we are going to be back with episode number nine. We will be back on the whole numbers, Nueve, and we will be taking a look at some of the things that will give us um, answers and a way forward. So instead of only looking at the, the, the negative, we're going to start to look at the positive and look at some real action steps that we can take moving forward and how Christians can live in the midst of outrage in the midst of uh, our worldview that differs so greatly from so many that live around us. So until then, be good.
You've been listening to Good Christian People, the podcast. Today's special double-decker episode was recorded on September 24th, 2020 by Jeff Higgins and Tim Byer, two pastors living in beautiful Glen Burnie, Maryland. If you'd like to find more of our content, please check us out online at goodchristianpod.com, or if you can somehow still stay on Twitter, follow us there at at gcppod. I think we can knock this one out, though, in 35 minutes if we stick. Because we're not doing, like, a ton of discussion up the front and... Lies! Deceptions! Every day, more lies.